0: There's nothing quite like waking up in the morning and having had a real sense of fear and dread of remembering that you forgot to do your science homework and it's going to be graded today and then a few seconds go by and then you have that wonderful feeling of, oh no, I'm 40, I don't have to go to school anymore.
1: (laughs) I have that, but it's maths. There's like some outstanding exams or pieces of coursework that I need to do so I can actually finish school. And then, yeah, I remember that I'm 50 and (laughs) that's possibly not, although although I do wonder because I have such, I have places when, when I dream that I go back to. And I did talk to someone What about this one time. She went, yeah, you're probably astral projecting. You're probably on a different dimension. You've got another lifetime and, and you come here for the rest. And oh. this is like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> if that's the case, one of you is getting a raw deal. Welcome to the A to Z of happiness with Anya Pierce and me, Mark Stedman. Join us as we unpack the science of happiness one letter at a time. This week, it's F for fear.
1: Well, this is one of those things where, again, I'm talking about something, not because I'm good at overcoming it, but deliberately because I'm shit at it. Right. And I know for myself how much happiness feeling scared has taken from me in my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, fearing something is going to happen, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop, Mm -hmm. that can very often if i'm not careful cloud a really enjoyable experience or a relationship with someone you know this is great and they're going to you know this there's something is going to happen which means it's going to end in a way which leaves me bereft and you know having those kinds of fears you know and i unlike everyone else you know i want to i want to avoid painful and difficult emotions as best I can. I'm. I mean, I'm learning. One of the things which, you know, our, our mutual friend, uh, the coach Chris Kenworthy, um, has often pointed out to me when that I, you know, he's a fan of the Enneagram, and says points out when I'm when I'm being very four ish, which means that I'm being very, you know, I will sit with difficult things and I'll go, okay, this feels this. I don't like this. Why don't I like this? What's underneath the not liking? etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. What's under, under all these fears? Because, you know, it's so easy to distract myself and to numb myself from that. And I think the... I don't want to say call it as a gift because it was hard won. but, you know, I had a period just over a decade ago when I was so physically incapacitated by my illness that I couldn't distract myself from my experience. The only thing I could do was actually repeating a mantra, I forgive myself, I forgive myself, I forgive myself, just so I could sleep for more than four hours. I was doing like like four hours during the day, four hours during the night, which does not do your nervous system any good. You know, I think I've mentioned before, you know, I've had a, what I euphemistically call a character building childhood. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so there's a lot of my negativity bias has been honed by experiences of um, interpersonal trauma. I am still, you know, I, I sound bright and chirpy right now, the sun is shining, you know, I, I have your marvellous company right now. But yeah, loneliness um, from extended periods of, of, of social isolation mean that I'm, you know, the, the lonely brain is a hypervigilant brain. And so I'm a more attuned to threats
0: should we should we look at what those what those those threats are because i think for me my understanding here is it has a lot to do with rejection and feeling perhaps feeling like we're we're in an out group and wanting to be in the in group or feeling like we are in the in group and being absolutely terrified that we put a foot wrong do you know say the wrong thing do the wrong thing and then we are banished and exiled and 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 sent back into uh, oblivion and loneliness again
1: yeah hello yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not that not this is going to turn into a really fucking cheerful mm-hmm. uh, podcast episode.. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, part of this, this vigilance is we are a social species, and you know, certainly from infancy, we are, you know, fundamentally dependent on our caregivers for our very survival. Um, And this is where we can develop certain, certain wounds, really, when, you know, at certain stages of our development where we haven't received the care and attention. And I'm not just talking like physically, you know, food and shelter and things. I'm talking, you know, emotionally, a feeling of safety. You know, there can be wounds which we, through no fault of anyone, you know, there's this, this thing of good enough parenting You know, if you have certain sensitivities, if you have a genetic predisposition, actually, you know, trauma is hereditary. You know, your grandparents might have experienced something which give you, which leave you with a certain sensitivity to feeling rejection, to fearing being sent out of the in-group or waiting to be kicked out of the in-group. These are all survival aspects. These are all, you know, when I'm thinking about fear, to me, this is very much the survival threat, being oh experienced, being running the show almost. You know, picking us up, grabbing us, and carrying us away. Because yeah, this this, this aspect from infancy of being dependent on other people. You know, because we are a social species, we are hugely interdependent with others for yes, food and shelter, but also for a sense of ourselves. You know, this idea of being mirrored by other people so we can learn who we are in relationship to others. You know, and the there's there's a the whole thing of oh trying to get rid of your ego. It's like you need to have an ego. Mm. You need to have a, a strong sense of self before you can get rid of it. And if you don't have this kind and considerate reflection of your better qualities and and which allows you to make mistakes and to get a sense of yourself. There can be huge areas, huge things that can trigger our fear. You know, one, being afraid of ourselves and aspects of ourselves. You know, two, afraid of other people, you know, judging us and yes, kicking us out. Or, you know, also rejecting us for those things that we reject in ourselves. That could be a huge thing. And just this whole... Realization that in Martin Seligman's uh, formula for happiness, PERMA, the central column, the central core of it is R for positive relationships. And we are a social species. Part of what makes loneliness so painful is the fact that we are not with others. And, you know, the fear of rejection, the fear of death. Be it the death of our ego death of our identity the death of hopes and dreams springing from these 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 biological fears of death yeah they can be particularly challenging
0: now ian brown of of the of the stone roses uh, put out a song ooh how many years ago Uh, quite a few um called fear in which he listed it was using fear as an acronym for lots of different things you know for each a road for every man a religion and uh, the one thing that i don't think he did uh, and indicate um or or list was false evidence appearing real
1: yeah it's an interesting one because i think this is one of the things you know we try and because this is a definition or you know a way of looking at it which I've come across and it's an interesting one because so often you know what we're responding to isn't the actual situation we're experiencing we're experiencing our thinking about the situation and you know this idea of false evidence what we're responding to isn't you know what we can physically tangibly feel. I love there's a there's a piece in one of uh, Michael Neal's books where he talks about you know, one of his mentors talking to a, to a man about all his issues and he was getting like really, really angry and he went, well, wait, wait, so what are you saying that all my stress and all the things I'm worried about, they're just mirages? And and the mentor went, yeah, but they're real mirages. Mm. <laughs> mm. You know, and I think when we start thinking about this uh, this idea of the false evidence, that really takes me into kind of like the two ways of you know i'm just going to quote some some stuff now uh or, or attempt to from about the neurobiology of fear okay you know and this, you the would. fact that we have yeah well the fact that we have that that this split perceptual system and so you know you just kind say. of like yeah it's, it's not that easy <laughs> um, you know and so we have that this quick survival response but it's all based on pattern matching and so, you know, we have, the, the amygdala is like the smoke alarm of the brain. Mm-hmm. And depending on how, on your window of tolerance, depends on how finely calibrated that smoke alarm is. Because I think we've all had those alarms in our in our houses, which you have a slice of toast that's anything more than a light honey, and it thinks the entire building is aflame, you know, and...
0: I stayed in a caravan uh, the uh, in September of 2021 and every time... I would, in the morning, I would make my lovely little fried breakfast and uh, I had to open the caravan door <laughs> to make my breakfast because there was absolutely no way of this thing not going off and, and, and in a very small confined space. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, that shit's ear-piercing.
1: Oh, very, very.
0: But I love you know. that, actually, because that that really that because that smoke alarm it is so because the point of that is to tell you shit's going down and this is the only thing you need to care about right now that's why it's so loud that's why it's you know it's it's sort of impenetrable because it is meant to say there is, there are no other priorities right now <laughs> and so when that's going off in our own heads that is yeah that is that is quite the quite the experience
1: it is, it is, and it's interesting, you know. Using the, th- the idea of, of of the smoke, you know, this idea, you know, is there smoke? There's, we make this, this this connection. There's no smoke without fire, and I think that's what the you know, the amygdala is very good at. It goes, there's smoke. There's clearly fire. We need you to move quickly mm-hmm. now, everyone. Nearest oh, exit, please. Yeah. Out the building. Out the building. So it activates, you know, the body's fight or flight hormones, you know, and in in the, and you know, it's this. It's very. Efficient, it bypasses, you know, our executive function. It just goes, right, shift, move, now.
0: Uh, all resort, what is it, like uh, the Star Trek thing, like everything's diverted to, you know, <laughs> yes. all power to, is diverted main, to, to, to shields to, or whatever. It, yeah, absolutely, yeah.
1: the main factor to shields. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, this is like, and it says, you know, in, in the book, you know, I'm cre- quoting from Healing Developmental Trauma, which is uh, a, a, a wonderful uh, beachside read. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but it says, you know, in a prey, prey predator world... You know, this can make the difference between life and death. This is why, you know, we we, we had it as one of the first things to be evolved and we've kept, retained it. That's that that's the thing, you know, we are... I was watching, oh, one of George Clark's episodes, not not the Amazing Spaces, the one with, like, old, old house, new home or something, and there was this gorgeous villa, a, a, a farmhouse which was, you know, from the front beautiful, but at the back, there's like lots of additions of like 80s extensions Mm. and 90s extensions and this and the other. And it's very much like our brains, you know, we have like the original architecture built in from from the start of our evolution. And then we've had all these extensions built on.
0: Can I now do my impression (laughs) of a character from Father Ted, please?
1: (laughs) You can.
0: This is my favourite character from Father Ted. He's a he's a, a, a painfully boring man that uh, people get stuck with, um, usually in, in confined spaces. And um, this is a bit of the bit uh, the the credit sequence where he says, "We we had a, an extension put on the house, and then we had an extension put on the extension, and now the house is in a circle." Now, <laughs> what's your favorite humming noise? Anyway,
1: but that's it. You know, this is a lot of this is what we're contending with is. You know, we've got an old building with an extension with another extension, mm-hmm. but like not everyone. When there's a fire, people come out of the extension. They go into the original main building, <laughs> and that and that shit is made is like really roughly hewn. It's like it's just old stone, you know, po- possibly a dirt floor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 it's, but it's there because that's where all the utilities come into into the main property. You know, but trying to navigate between all these different stages can can trip us up because obviously we didn't put them on the same flooring level there were steps no, of course. Um, <laughs> that would be so much more sensible
0: we're building a house not a bungalow
1: <laughs> yeah exactly um but you know but having this split perceptual system you know means that you know to minimize effort the brain makes a quick assessment with just enough detail for a good enough match you know and if danger is assessed you know the amygdala responds to this minimal information you know but the second one you know if if no match is found the brain proceeds to seek more information until a ma- until a match is found and this is where we kind of we move into from thinking fast into thinking a little bit more slowly so mm. to, to paraphrase the book you know this is kind of like touching into our hippocampus now our memories and so we are fear with a lot of it is pattern matching You know, that is that why we mistake... It's much better for us to mistake a stick for a snake and to run away than to stop and seek more information and go, no, 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 it's just a stick. That's cool. That's fine. No more screaming.
0: There's uh, there's a guy uh, called Marco Arment who created, among other things, uh, he was, I think, employee number one at Tumblr and he created the popular podcast app Overcast. And he has a thing, because his name is Marco lots of people call him Mark. And so he he has what he calls a snap-to-grid name. And I think that snapping-to-grid is a really good metaphor. So if you've ever done anything where, like especially on Windows, like if you drag an icon somewhere out of the sort of the main grid of where it wants to be it will Mm -hmm. snap back it will sort of want to be in alignment and you can sometimes get that when you're you know if you're doing something in canva or whatever and you you want to drag something and and what ends up happening is it it snaps to a grid line and we do that in all sorts of different areas where we go, oh, that's close enough to, to what I wanted. And so I think, yeah, like if, if the idea of pattern matching and pattern recognition doesn't necessarily spark it in your brain, I think that that's something that, you know, if you, if you use a computer or a tablet, you might be you know familiar with that thing of the shortcut being taken there to be like, eh, it's close enough. And our brains do that all the time.
1: Yeah, because our brains, you know, only weigh a couple of pounds. They take somewhere in the region of 20% of our calories, you know, so it's always trying to be really cost efficient because it's like, if it's has like the quick pattern matching, right, okay, all systems go. If it's the slower pattern matching, that again, you know, takes effort. If there's no match, then, you know, new information can be learned, but then it needs to be hung onto something else mm-hmm. structurally for it to be remembered. Yeah. You know, this is why people think that I have a really great memory for stuff. It's not. It's because it ends up like being this huge tree. I can see connections between things. But it's not until someone says something that I remember the connection. And then this, it's like the jukebox effect comes up. Mm. <laughs> you know, I can't remember stuff, you know, just really nearly. There needs to be some kind of inciting trigger, some kind of catalyst. Yes. And then all the little, it's like um, an electrical circuit, all the little lights, you flick a switch and all the little other little lights all f- suddenly get powered up and you ding, 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 <laughs> But they were all set up to connect with each other previously, mm-hmm. which is how I end up rem- remembering things, having a a moderately good semantic memory for certain things.
0: So we have some some questions, some prompts uh and uh, and the and the first one too that we that we're gonna look at is what are you afraid of
1: Yeah, because I think you know actually what we've done we've talked a lot about some of where our core fears lie mm. um you know this idea of you know being being rejected, you know the fear of, of death, whether that's li- literal or social, but sometimes just being aware of what it is that we're afraid of helps us to work out, you know, is this what Martha Beck says, you know, like there's the social self. Am I afraid of not fitting in, which is different. You know, we talked about beef for belonging is different from belonging. You know, our sensual self belongs everywhere. You know, but our social self wants to get it right. You know, knows that there are... Always...
0: <laughs> Dear listener, and you just saw me make what can only be described as a face.
1: <laughs> there, there was a forehead resting on the microphone moment. <laughs> okay, and breathe into the diaphragm. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we have because the social self is built from social rules, which means that we can get that shit wrong.
0: Which is why I love improv, <laughs> genuinely, because yeah. that was the discovery I made doing improv. I, I was trying to figure out, like, I, I enjoy this. I enjoy I, I'm, I'm sort of OK being on stage and all that kind of stuff. But there is something about this that I enjoy. And I and it's because you it's very difficult to get it wrong. When you do get it wrong, it can go catastrophically wrong. (laughs) And I have a couple of those experiences. But in the main, it doesn't because what happens is you build the world as you go. You build the world based on – you're almost building it based on the mistakes. You're building it based on the funny things that people said maybe on purpose, maybe not. And so there are no rules or the rules that you are – that you are adhering to are being made up on the spot and so you can't get that social stuff wrong when you're mm. in that in that scenario because in that world because of the world of yes and which I'm sure everyone is familiar with in in its basic form because the the job of another performer is to say okay cool given that that is now canon given that that is now part of the world what comes next and so if you if you become the type of person who reacts who 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 laughs instead of crying when they've been given bad news okay that's now the, that's now how you react and that is now true we don't have to you know point and laugh at that person in an unsafe way because mm. that is now part of the part of the universe so.
1: yeah and you're because crea- I think I always love there's a book called The Science of Storytelling by Will Storm, and he talks about how you know up until like late adolescence we are building a model of the world and then after that we are defending it mm. Yeah it's always a wonderful book uh, I do recommend but it is you know in those situations you are creating the social rules as you go along you're not trying to work out what they are you're being intentional with them you know you have agency and anything is anything is possible mm-hmm which is very, very liberating. Cause, and, and I think it's you know, it's interesting just thinking about that in the context of fear mm-hmm. and actually thinking about the difference between fear, worry, and anxiety, actually. Because in that situation, in the social situations, you might fear being cast out. You know, and anxiety is more of a, like a body experience. But a worry thing is like, okay, if I can just work out how to do this, I can stay safe. Mm. And I think in situations where you are, I think this is you know, one of the things which <laughs> I, I, I used to say it I came with a side salad of neurodiversity <laughs> or that I'm on a spectrum, we just haven't worked out which one it is yet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but what I love about certain aspects of that and, and owning that is the permission it gives me to make social cues explicit. I, I will very much say, you know hi i'm I usually say I'm highly sensitive It's a form of neurodiversity. I can get confused by stuff or overwhelmed by stuff. What's going on here? Mm. and you know in the relationship I'm in at the moment, this person is you know he is very good at communicating things which ordinarily other people will tell him to go, "Oh, what are you telling me that for?" Mm. He will say, "I'm just going to do this so I can then do that and i'm like and 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 I'm like, oh." <gasps> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know checking in with like is is it okay if I still pay for lunches? You know, can kind i of making these like these social things yeah he he also thinks he probably needs to get looked into. <laughs> He's like because <laughs> like all the people he hangs out with and fat and vibes all go, yeah got, I'm a little bit neurodiverse, I've got this going on, um, but yeah, just making these things explicit because then when they're out in the open part of what makes social navigation difficult can be the conflict between what someone says and the energy we're experiencing from them, a lack of congruence. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we've all had times when you've had someone who is clearly pissed off with us say, no, I'm not angry. It's fine. It's (laughs) fine.
0: (laughs) I'm not passive aggressive. You're passive aggressive.
1: (laughs) No, it doesn't matter. It's okay. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, and the Virginia satire talks about this kind of lack of congruence. And if we experience it as children, it makes us feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. And we all still have these inner childs within us, these, these young aspects who are, you know, and, and we have this neuroceptive sense of picking up whether something's a warning or welcome, mm-hmm. you know, below, below our level of consciousness awareness. And if someone, this is why, you know, it can be really challenging for some people to trust someone who's smiling, actually, particularly trauma victims, because, you know, the person who might have harmed them was smiling and reassuring them at the same time. Mm. And so we end up the pattern matching again, the pattern matching, ah, if someone is smiling and telling me that everything is okay they actually mean to do me harm
0: that that is a profound thing to be afraid of what mm. can we be scared of and still do anyway
1: yeah because i think there's lots of you know the versions of this of because it, it is this thing of trying to look into ourselves and go realizing and this has been credited to like like Nelson Mandela and the Princess Diaries, just to give you a bit of a like sure. a broad, spe- so, uh, broad societal spectrum. Mm. You know, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. And that one is actually from, you know, Franklin D. Roosevelt. And I think wanting to live a life without fear is what you know ross harris the acceptance and commitment therapy trainer would say it's a dead person's goal because 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 fear keeps you know fear keeps us safe mm-hmm. we often get it conf- we often get it mixed up with you know worry and anxiety fear i remember there's a lovely video by michael neal where he talks to someone who is a professional security uh not officer security guard or mm-hmm. but more than that kind of like top level like sort of a person who would like, like a bo- look like after a body him. man body man yeah look after like you know members of state mm-hmm. politicians security, film stars yeah. private security yeah. yeah that kind of thing and he said actually what most people think of is fear is is is, is worry you know, fear is a, is a tremendous resource when we need it. It gives us this juice, this, this sudden burst of energy, you know, to, to fight someone or to lift the car off our child, mm. you know, this sudden surge of, of, of hormones. But we're only supposed to experience that, like, once every maybe 48 to 36 hours. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you see an animal in the wild, if they've been chased and it's just very much the proper prey predator experience, you know, once they're safe, they'll shake it all off and they'll go back to grazing, Mm. you know, but what happened happens with us is, you know, we have, we have worry, anxiety, and where it's, you know, if you've been chased by a tiger or whatever, we won't be just standing there going, oh, well, that was all right. Okay, I'm going to eat now. We'd be going, oh, but they could have done this. They could have done that. Mm. You know, I I, I I, I can imagine myself being torn from limb to limb and it would be so excruciating. And, you know, this is why I'm saying about the analogy of the old building with the new stuff. We've evolved, you know, a tricky mind, which has all these prey instincts, all these, you know, initial things which are very much useful if we're being chased by a tiger, plus this these new capabilities which allow us imagination, mm. to imagine the what-ifs, to think of these things. And when we were kind of like thinking between, you know, the difference between worry and anxiety, there's a wonderful article by Guy Winch who has a book on like emotional first aid and he says... You know, some of the, because it is useful even to find not just the difference between fear and anxiety and worry, but also the difference between worry and anxiety. You know, this idea that we tend to experience worry in our heads and anxiety in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And worry, we, we worry is about, again, we think we can figure something out. It's about something specific where anxiety can be more diffuse. And, you know, a worry might trigger problem solving, but, ang- but anxiety doesn't. And, is what you're experiencing caused by realistic concerns and causing mild emotional distress because you know anxiety because it's in the body It you know it can take us take all of us and i can can obviously create severe emotional distress because our nervous system is constantly aggravated and as you know if we are constantly acting like we're being chased by the tiger, just or there's, or we constantly feel like there's a tiger in our neighbourhood. Our neighborhood.
0: Mm-hmm. immediate vicinity, yeah. Prowling.
1: Prowling. And not even sometimes in our immediate vicinity, just knowing there's a tiger mm. out there. Yes. I think that's where it starts to get, you know, start to go, okay, so am I thinking, how, how do I, how would I? So our worry might be, there's a tiger out there. How do I avoid it? Or if I encounter it, how do I triumph over it? Anxiety is, it feels like the tiger's here all the time. Mm-hmm. My body is responding as if the tiger has got his eyes on me all the time. And so many of us live with, and Gabor Mate, I think, said in in, in a piece that what used to be called clinical or diagnosis clinical anxiety is pretty much like the standard now so many of us live with this low level hum this background noise of anxiety which because it takes up so many of our resources actually depletes us from the the problem solving capabilities of of worry (laughs) of 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 going okay i'm worried about this what can i do because you're so depleted and so drained it it's it's the kindness of the design, you know, I I have my little habitat model where you go out from sorry, I'm just having a little laugh because uh Mark's cat Roscoe has made a wonderful appearance.
0: <laughs> speaking of speaking of anxiety and, and big cats prowling around, I, I I had I had this sense there was a big cat that wanted my attention.
1: <laughs> and on cue mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> friend of the show Roscoe made an appearance but yeah it, this this idea of you know we can't be in this highly triggered highly mobilized state for long it will burn us out mm-hmm. you know and actually the kindness of the design is you know is the dissociation is the numbing is the checking out because otherwise we you know we won't have the opportunity to resource ourselves yeah. we will just go boomf, just up in flames sounds like my
0: 2022 and, yeah so Speaking of uh, of kindness, then, how can we develop a, a gentler relationship with our fears?
1: And I think that is the, the million-dollar question. <laughs> because having anxiety, feeling scared, feeling worried, these are all parts of being human. And there's a wonderful video with uh, Dr. Ross Harris, again. He talks about the struggle switch. Actually, what happens when, particularly when we feel anxious, is... We go, oh, no, I'm feeling anxious. And then we go, oh, then we get angry. Oh, well, I'm I'm angry that I'm feeling anxious. Mm. And then we worry about, oh, I feel sad. Oh, I feel so sad. I get so angry that I'm feeling so anxious. And actually we put up, you know, we create all these things. We we have this uh, phenomenal capacity for imagination and we can get ourselves caught up in what all this anxiety means. But if we can just... Go okay. I'm anxious. Full stop. It's this this again, like the Michael Neal thing of you know more f- fewer full stop fewer commas more full stops. Mm. And I think it's so easy to go. Oh, I'm feeling anxious right now. This must mean. And then we create a whole narrative, a whole dialogue, a whole you know story behind it. And sometimes actually it's just okay. This is this is a normal emotion. Whew, I don't particularly like it
0: okay and you're not alone in that that i i think that there is a weird i've struggled with that sort of the 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 idea of the common humanity thing because it sometimes in my head i sort of hear well lots of people feel like that so you're not you know you're nothing special like you know you 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 whatever whereas actually it's reminding that we're not alone reminding ourselves that we're not alone in 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 that and that this is something that we are not necessarily uniquely feeling that uh, other people do experience this. And, and I think that in itself, because if you think that you your experience is so alien, then that's just going to heighten that. It's just going to make you feel, you know, not only am I anxious, but I'm also, I seem, you know, I can't imagine anybody else could feel this anxious about something. So there's something wrong with me there. Whereas reminding yourself, no, actually, it's just that we don't, like when you're scrolling Instagram, people don't really put up like, I'm feeling really anxious today, or I couldn't get out of bed, or I'd spent all day in my pajamas because that's not what Instagram is for. But people are feeling that,
1: yeah. And that's oh, there's so many, so much I want to 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 explore on that, you know. But I'm going to start at the end and work backwards. So, you know, we uh, the, we compare to despair. I think it might be one of the twelve steps. Actually, I haven't taken them, but that rings a bell. And this idea of we are very good at comparing our insights to other people's outsides. Mm-hmm. You know and that could be very that's 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 not going to take you to a good place, no. but also you know if what you're talking about you know i i'm I'm feeling really anxious, you know no one else is feeling this way that that's that shame mm
0: mm-hmm.
1: that shame, and that in and of itself
0: we'll get there when we get I mean, to s
1: yeah. <laughs> We're still on, still, we haven't worked out what we're going to do no, for us yet. So, yeah. so, so, so th- it, it, if it's not this season, it'll be next <laughs> season. But but, yeah, and that is an emotion, an experience, which, which makes us want to withdraw from others. Now, if you remember at the start of this, we talk about fearing rejection. Mm-hmm. You know, this is all tied up in it. And actually one of the, you know, Brene Brown points to this as one of the cures for shame is to actually speak stuff out to other people, you know, this is why, you know, when I'm feeling anxious or afraid or uncomfortable or in shame, actually, I will say, oh, I'm just feeling X right now. I will deliberately put it out there and go, this is the experience I'm having rather than let it um, rule me from the shadows. Yes. Which is so, so easy to do. And then
0: try and mask it or try and hide it. Yeah. Do, yeah,
1: yeah ab- absolutely. It feels more... It feels less effortful for me to just say the thing Pink. than try and mask it, to, be, to attempt authenticity. I don't get it all the time. You know, I, I'm still very much human. But yeah, this idea of recognizing that whatever your experience is, of feeling afraid, of, feeling, of, of fearing rejection, of worrying about you know, how your life is unfolding feeling this free-floating anxiety about things that are or just on the periphery or just outside the periphery of your literal or metaphorical vision that these are things that are your signifiers these are I'm thinking of your little membership cards this is your wallet full of membership cards of you being a fully paid up member of the human race. These things do not separate you. These things are proof that you are human and you belong because if you are experiencing it, it shows that you are human.
0: On that note, I feel like um we could use a self-compassion break.
1: Just a very brief self-compassion break because as much as... feeling fear, feeling worried, feeling anxious is part of being human. It also sucks. It's also a really freaking painful experience. (laughs) I ain't going to sugarcoat that. (laughs) But this idea of a self-compassion break, something you can do just to take the edge off, just to allow you to be with that experience rather than numbing yourself or or, or avoiding it, just to be with it rather than to make stories with it. And so, yeah, the, the, the mindfulness aspect is, you know, perhaps just take a moment right now to, if it's safe and comfortable to do so, to just close your eyes or perhaps lower your gaze. Notice your sitting bones, if you're sitting down on the seat or surface beneath you, the feeling of your feet on the floor. Perhaps just noticing your breath rise and fall in your body. Now you're here, you're home, in yourself. Just call to mind a situation in your life that's perhaps a little difficult for you, that perhaps causes you some fear, worry or anxiety. Right now for this moment, perhaps choose something that's small like a pebble in your shoe rather than a big boulder, but whatever's coming to mind right now, that's okay. And just see if you can actually feel the fear, the emotional discomfort in your body. Just notice where it might be, just, just gently alerting you right now, perhaps it's in your stomach, in your chest stiffness in your shoulders. I'm not judging it, just hey, this is just data gathering. You know, and perhaps say to yourself, Oh, yeah, I'm just feeling some difficulty right now. What am I what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And then we're gonna offer this some kindness, some tenderness perhaps offer yourself some words of acknowledgement of what's going on you know ugh this is tough this hurts this sucks whatever works for you right now whatever just gives loving gentle acknowledgement of the suffering that you're experiencing and then we can remind ourselves hey Suffering like this is is normal. It's part of being human. Perhaps you can just gently remind yourself with words like, yeah, everyone goes through tough times at some point. Or, I'm not alone in feeling this way. Whatever wouldn't bring you some relief or some comfort right now. Now, I'm just going to end with just a little self-kindness and if it feels safe and comfortable to do so, perhaps just gently placing your hand over your heart and just feeling the soothing contact and the warmth as you do so. And just inviting you to think, hmm, may I be kind to myself or may i accept myself just as i am this is a moment for us to think you know what kind things can i say to myself right now perhaps it's hey i've got you it's okay i'm here for you whatever you most need to hear You can give yourself that gift right now. And then I'd love to invite you to just gently invite your amazing imaginative mind to offer you the answer to what kind things can I do to myself, to do for myself, to help ease this suffering? What action can I take to show myself that I care so we're not just thinking in words we're thinking of ways to really let let the love in from ourselves to ourselves now if you have an answer to that that's great and if you don't that's okay We can be open to something arising later, but in this moment, I'm just going to just notice your feet on the floor again, Have your sitting bones on the seat or the surface beneath you if you're sitting and listening to this, the feeling of your hands and just opening your eyes and raising your gaze, knowing that you've you've listened to yourself, given yourself kind words, and showed yourself that you're there for you, and that you care.
0: The A to Z of Happiness is presented by Anya Pierce and me, Mark Stedman. It's produced by Origin, and you can find us at a2zofhappiness.com, where you'll also find links to the things we discussed. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them, whichever way is easiest for you. Take care, and do join us again next week on the A to Z of happiness.